Hey, Ruth. Hey, Rachel. You want to take a trip to Lovecraft Country? So what are your thoughts on this week's episode? It was so much. It was... Yeah. <laughs> it, was it was a lot. <laughs> just first off the bat, it was longer than I thought it would be. I was ready for like 50 minutes at most. Um, oh, bless. Yeah, I forgot it was HBO <laughs> and that episodes are of whatever length they feel like they should be. And then so much happened. I was like, oh, some exposition. We'll find out who this guy is and then we'll get mm-hmm. ready to have the story. But <laughs> no, um, even even in the just straight up exposition parts, so much was packed into the storytelling as far as like setting a backdrop and really setting the stage and telling whole other stories. What's one of those whole other stories that stood out to you? They have the block party. And mm-hmm. um, in the block party, when Ruby Letty's sister is singing, she's singing a Sister Rosetta Tharp song, and she's got mm-hmm. the guitar styled to look like Sister Rosetta Tharp. So it's telling a story about black music, and there's a whole story too when Ruby's talking to her sister about how she's going to get a job, about whether or not she's going to go clean houses or try and get a job in a store downtown. So what is appropriate mm-hmm. to be doing and how to live your life. That's the kind of like world building that like it, it's all these like small things that are actually big things that, that just create like a density to a world that draws you in. I really appreciated that opening and that it was a lot. Well, I'm not talking about the very opener. That was a lot. It had a lot in it, but it was also um, a very quiet opener in terms of really just setting the story and the pace with him and this woman and their experience of the world as they're traveling and they're two strangers. And I know you had some thoughts on their conversation walking down the road. I thought it was a really good introduction combined with something that happens later in his uncle's bookstore to how they're going to be treating Lovecraft throughout this show. As he's reading A Princess of Mars, where the protagonist is an ex-Confederate officer, And they have this conversation about whether or not you can actually be X and having that kind of person as a protagonist. He calls back to, well, sometimes, you know, stories are like the imperfect people that we have in our lives and maybe we love them anyway. And she points out, you know, they still have their flaws, though. And then the very first time that we're introduced to Lovecraft as he's picking up and perusing his uncle's book, he references one of Lovecraft's most explicitly racist poems and how his father made him memorize it. And it's a poem in which Lovecraft sets out his race philosophy. God had to create something between the humans and the beasts. And so he made black people, except that, of course, he uses the N-word. And so, okay, stories are flawed. And you take ideas and stories and things that you love and things that send you on imaginary journeys, even with all the flaws. And yet at the same time, they're explicitly calling out and saying, okay, you know Lovecraft was exactly this racist, and I expect that searches for that poem went way up. And so you probably had all these people reading it. I mean, I had to go find and reread it just to remember which poem it was, because I I don't really do his poetry. It's really a no-holds-barred reminder. We're not going to pretend this guy wasn't racist, and we're not going to pretend that's okay. What we're going to do is say, this guy was hella racist, and 
here are some wild story ideas and things and monsters that we find so compelling that we're going to go with it. And I thought that was a lot of good framing that happens really in the first, within the first 20 minutes, I'd say, of the episode. And I'll tell you, I mean, that is a leap. Um, because, I mean, when I think about T.S. Eliot, I think that man hated Jews. And that's all I think. No matter, I cannot... I cannot get over it. I cannot read his poetry. I don't care what he says. Like, I just think about how anti-Semitic he was. So it's, it's definitely something that has to be confronted, both by like confronting it directly and by setting the tone in the storytelling that this is going to be about race. And we are going to be not only talking about Lovecraft and race, but we're going to be talking about race in America, viewing the show as white viewers with like all of like what it means to be a white American. There's so many other references that I did not get because we are not taught about artists and histories and I'm not aware of them, but thankfully there is a way for us to learn more, um, which is, you know, other folks doing other podcasts. My role here as we've established is to not know anything. And I especially don't know anything about the history of African-American art. But like, if you want to know what some of these references are and all of that context, people are, are doing those explainers and that work. And that's something that, I mean, it's a great entree to, to get into some of the, the things that, that have been kept from us. It's not early in so much to try explaining from our puddle deep appreciation or knowledge of this on the podcast so much as it is for us to acknowledge one, what we do and don't know. And two, that there are ways that those of us who don't know can see these parallels and see things drawn out and see photo contrasts and other things. And honestly, like, I think it's just cool. I like to watch art and be like, Oh, that's not for me. I'm not put off by art that's not made for me. Um, and there's certainly, I think, a lot of this art. It's an opportunity to, to have a crew like with Misha Green and, and Jordan Peele and all these other folks to make black art for black people. And I want more of that. I saw this awesome thread um, that was doing like scene by scene cutouts to these um, photographs like from the era. And they were so these the shots of the road trip are straight up from the art and that's the kind of like level of of stuff that's going on um that other folks can tell you about so look them up okay so let's re let's rewind all the way to the beginning and talk about the introductory sequence where he's having a dream on the bus yeah that's where we get our our tentacle monsters (laughs) for the episode and spaceships Mm-hmm. Um, and Martian princesses and it was all mixed up with the wartime. So it seemed like it was his experience of the Korean war kind of pasted onto that other story, all mixed up in what he was reading while he was sleeping on the bus. And Jackie Robinson. So probably his childhood too. That's the other thing that we learned at the beginning in that discussion with the woman from the bus was that he joined the army to get away from his father, but he came back. Because his father had gone missing. Gone missing. So there's this strangeness to his family. And then he shows up at Uncle George's bookshop slash everything. Publishing place, garage, yeah. And he's walking through the bookstore and perusing the horror. And he pulls out this Arkham House Lovecraft novel and then proceeds to have this dialogue 
with so much Lovecraft stuff in it that I felt like I was in France and people were talking. Do you want me to unpack that a little bit? Please do. The book that he had picked up, The Outsider, and that's actually not a novel. That is the first collection of Lovecraft short stories that was published by Arkham House. It's a whole heck ton of short stories and one essay. People have made later editions where they actually went back to his drafts, redid them with slightly different edits. But yeah, what he mentioned from his father's letter is that he thought that his father had been talking about Arkham. And as you see that name in Arkham House, you've probably encountered the game Arkham Horror. You might have heard it come up in other things as Arkham Asylum and Batman. And Arkham is one of the main towns in Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country is sort of the New England area. And gosh, I feel like we've got to get into that in a minute. But Lovecraft Country is a series of cities and port towns in particular and more rural places that are strung along the New England coast and a bit inland. And so Arkham's the main site for all kinds of things that go bad. It's where Miskatonic University is. So in some ways, it's like Providence, where Brown is. So he mentioned Herbert West, reanimator, and that's a six-part kind of fun, pulpier version of Lovecraft's stories about a guy stealing corpses, the kind of things that go wrong with that. It's, I'd say, one of his more fun ones. And Jeffrey Coombs played Herbert West in a real fun uh, movie adaptation of it. They were talking about the line between the pulp sci-fi that mm-hmm. that is um, John Carter to Lovecraft. They're talking about that spectrum. He's definitely drawing that line between some of the more um, esoteric horror things and some of Lovecraft's more pulpy stuff. And I mentioned last time it didn't define weird. It's a prologue to modern horror where things can be a little more unsettling or a little more hijinxy and weird. You get a little bit of both. And sometimes there's a bit more humor, I think, than in some modern horror. I had this moment while watching that scene where I thought, oh, is this how we're going to play it? Is Arkham real? Is Herbert West reanimated real? And then real? they've got a joke about it. not really Arkham. <laughs> it's not actually Arkham. There was this moment where I couldn't decide how I felt about it. I was like all stuck in my, I don't know how I feel. Oh, oh, oh. They're like, he's like, oh no, kid, your your brain is just too much in there. That's ridiculous. Let me look at this. I was like, oh, okay, good. I mean, I was relieved with that choice, but it was also really funny. I feel like there were maybe only two jokes, but they're both extremely funny. <laughs> Speaking of when we get to Chicago and of Lovecraftian things, I really appreciated how deeply for everything else that was in it, the stage setting, the trip, the ideas of other things, this show was really about family. And I loved all the different ways in which we saw family happening. You know, we have George and Hippolyta in bed during the opening. And I was like, yeah, this is a couple I can identify with. Mm-hmm. And you got that loving cousin, yeah. supportive cousin relationship. So for all the strain, oh, we're going to have to go after my dad. And you got Letty and her sister who love each other, but can't stand each other. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that moment on the road when they're at her brother's place where Tick wants to go and intervene. And George is like, that's family drama and it is not our drama which had more of that like intense character building just in like bits and pieces that you heard from outside. Like we learned about Letty and I don't know exactly what she's doing, but I assume she's maybe involved in some kind of protesting. Mm -hmm. And also her mother's funeral. I Mm -hmm. mean, stuff around 
parents and dying parents and dead parents, that can be that can be real hard. And I don't know what her relationship was with her mom. I don't know how much of that'll get pulled out in coming episodes or if that's just sort of being set up as a little backstory there for her character. And on the trip too, we had George coming to the realization that women can take care of themselves and, and maybe drive fast. <laughs> And turn around on, on bringing his wife on some of these very dangerous trips. Yeah, he's not wrong that they're dangerous. I mean, the name of the episode is Sundown. One of the questions that you had is, who are the monsters? Clearly, the monsters are sheriffs and they're terrifying and really everyone who makes the world. So I mentioned last week that I thought that the world is a pretty terrifying place in general. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons that I didn't like horror. And that's what we saw in this episode. Like, we're just going to go from Chicago to Massachusetts, which is a very long trip when the speed limit is 35, 45 at most. Yeah. And no interstates. Through rural white America. That's a danger. That's why the, the Green Book exists. And the peril comes because George is doing research for the Green Book. So... They're going to check out new places to see that they can add information to it. So they're doing the dangerous work so that others can do it more safely. You know, when I saw the title Sundown, I was trying to find it on IMDb and almost every other Sundown thing was also horror, but it was specifically about monsters that only come out after dark. Mm-hmm. One thing this episode shows us is that Sometimes the monsters come out in broad daylight because they don't actually have anything to be afraid of. I had a friend of mine from New York. He called me up and he asked me and he said, hey, um, I'm going on a trip. And I was wondering, you know, because I normally wear a kippa all the time, a head covering. And I was wondering what you thought about that. And I said, which road are you taking? I said, you, you should wear a baseball cap. That's a privilege that I can have to not wear a necklace or to try and camouflage myself. I mean, there's, and that's the other thing that is horrifying about it because there's, it's not something reasonable. There's, there's no reasoning with this. It's just like a force of nature, this hatred. It makes no sense and is just going to try and kill you for no reason. I thought that they demonstrated that very well. It was not any of the other ways that we white people want to tell ourselves. It was straight up murderous, as is shown several times in this episode. So in that chase, I felt like we got to see a couple of really cool things. One of which, of course, being teamwork of Letty pulling around. But also, that was a time when we introduced the silver car. Right. Yeah. What did you think about the silver car? Do you have any ideas? Um, no, it looks great though. Um, very ominous, but it was mentioned, um, as part of looking into his dad's disappearance that Tick did, but we never learn anything more. It's also stalking Tick, uh, when he's coming back from the block party. I don't know if you caught yeah. that. I caught it the second time around as he's walking back home. But at least they're watching out for you, it seems like. It seems like, and I feel like that's a great question that we're going to get into next week. These people are offering them something, but I don't know what they're going to want from them. That's exactly it. I go back to when I watched the trailer, I thought like, wait, is this birthright like 
pro monsters. Seems like mm-hmm. it might be a pro monsters birthright and not a fighting monsters birthright. Well, if you want to talk about like the other monsters that they encounter, coming up to that, the bit with the sheriff, I remember just being oh, so God. relieved when I crossed the county line and I started breathing again, only to stop uh, breathing again. Yep. That was so well done and so hard. And I really also appreciated that I got to take a breath for half a second. But what did you think when we first saw and encountered the monsters? Okay, so this is the other joke (laughs) that was in the show. Because before the encounter with the sheriff and then the pursuing chase-ish, they're they're looking for this bridge and they are fighting about it. And eventually they stop the car and they get out of the car and Atticus and Letty having this discussion about the side of the road, and then they mention this monster. Uh, Shoggoth. And uh, he describes it as a, like a blob with lots of eyes. Yeah. And, and Letty goes, I mean, we can run faster than a blob. <laughs> <laughs> and Atticus says, yeah, but my uncle can't. And that's the setup for the joke later, which is during the fight, George falls down and gets st- stuck, <laughs> which, that's funny. I'm sorry, that's funny. It was nice to have a little humorous callback because that was a very intense night fight in the woods. It was a hell of a fight because you've got one, my favorite thing in the world, which is I can't be scared when monsters arrive to devour racists. Like that is just awesome. And I'm for it. <laughs> like, oh, you, you bit off his arm. Awesome. For it. Yes. Glad you came because this was getting a little tense. There's just so much happening with a number of monsters, which you can't really see because so much is happening until they get into the cabin. Yeah. At which point, several people are already dead. We don't care about them, though, because they're horrible. Everyone we like is alive. And then the subtext becomes text when... Yeah. <laughs> when, when the sweaty white cop starts becoming a sweaty monster. Yeah, I mean, Lovecraft isn't really into the subtle either. He wants to make sure you knew the text. So I was like, okay, but it does fit. It fits in the genre. All of these killings were funny until we cut back to George, who is playing dead. And we're trying to see if we can get him to safety. Yeah, Uncle George alone with the flashlight was probably the most scared I've been because I get real spooked in woods. I read too much horror. And have a really vivid imagination. And then I find myself on completely innocuous trips or something. I'm like, <laughs> I'm out in these woods. Like, I know these woods. I grew up in these woods. There's nobody in these woods. So George is out there and he gets himself to the cabin with the use of the flashlight. So the, the monsters come out at night and are sensitive to light. And is that a common thing? Or is that like specific to certain Lovecraft monsters? Here's one of the things where I, I'm totally down to let the episode and possibly the book, because, you know, as we've said, we haven't read the book, uh, have its own its own little world building thing. But even in my, like, expanded mythos canon, those aren't really Shoggoths. Shoggoths are more blobby and less muscular. They don't have tails. They're not burrowing. Actually, I thought that was a really cool effect. That was the fucking burrowing awesome. monster bit. I was really into that bit. I was like, yes, that was cool. Yeah, so I thought that they were a really fun monster design going off the concept of 
what if you had something that was Shoggoth-ish, Shoggoth-inspired, lived in trees, made people disappear? So we saw one in the trees with many eyes that looked super blobby. And it didn't, to me, it didn't look like the monsters that were attacking them. Yeah, I need to do some more freeze frame on that. I also wondered if they were all human derived or if say one's a cow that got lost and one's a dog <laughs> that got lost and they kind of all evolve into their own forms of these beasts. <laughs> that's, that's really interesting. One of the bits that I found really eerie at the end was when they all got whistled off. Oh, it was super spooky. Cause you had all the eyes looking at you and everyone, but our heroes is dead now. Mm-hmm. And then they got whistled off. Then you've got the ruined car. So they go out to find the road and they take the road down to the bridge that they had been looking for this entire time. So it seems very much like the road is a secret road and mm-hmm. the monsters protect it. It does seem like the monsters belong to the house. And I wonder if we're going to get explicitly into that and into who the two weird blonde figures are. Mm-hmm. Cal, what what is it that's spooky about having somebody come up to you and tell you, you belong here, claim your birthright? Well, when they're a complete freaking stranger, everything. Especially if they're already manipulating you, which makes it seem like you don't have volition, which is probably another theme that we will see. Again, like who's in control? People want to be in control of their own stories. And other people want to be in control and circumstances just exist. But it is super creepy. The other huge mystery in the episode is like, what's the deal with his mom? Because we don't even hear about her in the setup at all. And there's two deals, it seems like to me. So we've got his dad's being interested in his mom's ancestry and how this might possibly tie to his birthright or something else like that. And then we see, you know, the little pictures of the family together, I think, and him being a little nerd with his big glasses. and Adorable. But then there's two weird things with Uncle George. So the first thing is, when he first brings it up, we're back in the shop. Uncle George looks uncomfortable in a way that, especially the second time around when I really had a chance to process it and I was looking for it, I don't think that was entirely due to Uncle George hoping that his father had given it up after his mother died. I don't know if his mother is dead. I don't know if there's a weird connection that she and Uncle George have. I don't know if she and Uncle George did something to protect Atticus or his father or to get his mom away from his father, especially if his father was violent. And I just don't know. I suspect that there's some special connection that she and Uncle George have. Her picture is also in his wallet. It's not his wife. I don't think so. She's got that long hair and that skinny face. And she looked like that picture of his family together. She looked like his mom in that picture. And there's an earlier picture of his wife, and she looks a little bit more 
broad shoulder. I thought he was just talking on the phone to his wife and then he was looking at a picture of her um, as a cue that nothing bad would ever happen. <laughs> so I guess that's my question. So I think we'll have to see how that works out over the next few episodes, whether I'm just completely off base, whether she and Uncle George just have that connection, who that girl in his wallet is. Right. And then then there's the whole backstory, too. So, like, if the birthright had belonged to his mother, then, like, why did she not have it? And did she leave? And under what circumstances? If they're on the side of the monsters, maybe she knew it was the right thing to get away. Rather than doing ads or doing nothing, this week I'm going to talk about Chris Spivey, a black role-playing game and horror writer whose work some folks listening might want to check out. Chris's best-known project is Harlem Unbound, for which he won a gold Emmy for writing. It also won for its excellent cover art. Harlem Unbound is a source book for playing Cthulhu Mythos games in 1920s-era Harlem. Its rent parties, nightclubs, and numbers games dazzle you just before a cold hand, maybe human, maybe not, clenches around your guts. The first edition is compatible with both Call of Cthulhu and Trail of Cthulhu systems. The second, done in partnership with Chaosium, is compatible with Call 7th edition and has four new scenarios. There are links to both editions in the show notes, as well as to a very recent live play of Harlem Hellfighters Never Die. You can check out all of Chris's current and former projects on his website, darkerhuestudios.com, also linked in the show notes. I'm particularly excited to see his new game, Haunted West, a weird West RPG which highlights the people of color often overlooked in stories of that era. We got to talk about the woods Mm -hmm. and the roads and filming period Mm -hmm. pieces, which they do in the city shots. Honestly, amazing to me. Yeah, I thought that was gorgeous. But I will tell you what I noticed because I'm not from the city. When they pulled in to the farm, Mm -hmm. they got the like classic car, right? It's all shined up like it's new. And then in the background, they show a tractor. And the tractor is an old tractor, but it is not the correct kind of old tractor to be having on that farm. That that tractor would have been brand new in that time. It, it was just an old tractor, but the tractor itself was like from the 50s. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was not nearly old enough. One gripe that I had with the production, and it's not, it's not a gripe with the writing, the story. It's a gripe with the universe. So I want to make this very clear. And my gripe with the universe is it's not reasonable or economical for HBO to film a show everywhere that they need to be showing. And so they filled the whole trip, including the bits toward the end in Illinois. And I have not lived much in the Midwest. I have lived in Indiana. And I have like a strong emotional sense and a strong emotional connection to land and to the shape of land and everything. and. I just had this moment where I was like, oh, no, oh, we are, no, we are still in the Midwest and that's not okay because to me, it was as jarring 
as if they filmed it in the middle of Arizona. It was like seeing saguaro cactuses there. I was just going, are we supposed to be in Massachusetts? Because if we're supposed to be in Massachusetts, we're not even in Pennsylvania. We're not in New York State. We're not in Western Maryland. We might be in Ohio. That's as far east as we could possibly be in this scene. I, I understand because I know that you just can't shoot in Massachusetts. And I think it's really, it comes back around to being such a testament to all the work that they did in Chicago and all the work that they did on the on the actual locations, right, where they shot the scenes. All of that was beautifully done. The cars, the costumes. The mood, yeah. The yeah. mood, the lighting, the color was wonderful. And so then I just got a little bit jarred out of it all by the lamp. See, as a extremely Midwestern Midwesterner, I was just happy to see the Midwest because now I live in, <laughs> in the South. And I just assume that everywhere is like the Midwest, even as I now live in the foothills. I just pretend it's the Midwest the entire time. You just can't shoot in that part of Massachusetts in the way that they needed to. So we saw in... Not uh, what's coming next week, but coming this season preview, which I thought was an interesting choice. And then we saw a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Just a lot. Even more. And we weren't ready because we just got finished with so much stuff happening in this episode. <laughs> We're definitely not ready to hear about how much more was coming in in the next episodes. So what did you think uh, about what's coming next? Well, it made me wonder if the house really is like, if the house might be right on the shore, on the ocean, if that has something to do with some of the water that we're going to see later on. It made me wonder if there are connections to some of Lovecraft's more water-based creatures. You know, like last week we talked about tentacle monsters on land, but if you're connected to the water, say down below or through subterranean tunnels and the like, that has a very Innsmouth feel to it, which is a, a city that is entirely populated by people who are hybrids. And they are both a direct, like a fairly direct allegory for how Lovecraft felt about interracial relationships. They are also an allegory about how people will sell out to hideous monster things for power and wealth. So I wondered if there's some kind of bargain that this house has with the monsters. We've already seen that they keep the monsters on leash. So I wonder if they are in alliance with other kind of monsters. And that's a question where I wonder who's pulling the strings. Right. So you get this, is it a cult kind of yeah. story? And then there's like, well, whose cult is it? And then you get the like, well, who's even in charge? If you get like a head person, like a mm -hmm. human, like, well, then there's somebody beyond that. That's the like monster in charge, the devil. I'll be very interested in seeing what kind of alliances these people have, because I'm sure that they have alliances and they have sources of power mm -hmm. and they're going to offer something to Atticus. Right. And I also don't know what role that Letty and Uncle George are going to play in it. Yes, I'm very interested to see, especially like how Letty acts in this. I mean, she's strong willed. She can run super fast, super fast, just extremely fast. We we're talking about how in these fight scenes, like how hard has that got to be, especially for women actors who 
have to act terrified, which is a lot of heavy breathing generally, Mm -hmm. um, and screaming. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of running. So as we're watching that scene where she is running incredibly fast, like actually all state track fast is how Mm -hmm. fast she's literally, she's literally running all state track fast down the road and thinking like, well, they probably did more than one take of that. Oh God. Right. Like that's so much at night with lights on you. Oh, that is unbelievable. So on top of all the acting, like that is hard work. So I'm interested to see how much more of a mix between terrifying and creepy and suspenseful like the lead up to the first car chase when the black friendly restaurant had been burned down and they realized that, and then they have to bolt out kind of like slowly reveals itself and then they bust out. And then you've got this like long fight scene or or terror scene of the monster fight at the end of the episode. So there's like two different kinds of of terror. It'd be interesting to see what that mixes or as they try and, you know, have a little bit of both. But it definitely seems like we're going to tilt a little bit more to the creepy factor next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a nice, long, quiet spook. (laughs) To being deeply unsettled. I just want to be deeply (laughs) unsettled for a change. Just uh, having some tea, being exceptionally creepy, discovering a hidden doorway, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I wonder what's up with his aunt, because it seems like... Hippolyta is going to have her own journey based on the trailer. And we saw Ruby quite a bit in the trailer, too. Which I was very excited for. But I don't know how they're going to meet up. Super fascinating. What is going to happen? It's like, oh, you thought it was going to be about this, but it's going to be this whole interconnected family. So it's a big family, Mm -hmm. not just Uncle George and, and Atticus. I was most drawn to like, what is Ruby doing in all this stuff? And she keeps saying weird things like she knows shit. What she know? How she know it? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm really glad that they aren't just like introduced and sort of left behind in Chicago to add context to the story. I'm really hoping that we get plenty of the other characters throughout. Maybe next week will be a little quieter. Maybe next week will be a little more unsettling. But in the long run, I would really like to see like Apollo doing as she she find a way to tap into the power of the Amazons? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she's named for the queen of the Amazons. We see her leading this band that I hadn't quite put together like yes. that. And I was like, oh, what's that whole, like, I mean, it looks like a planetary system. Yes. And so where did that come from? So do you think that they go back to Chicago? I feel in some ways like it takes place in some sort of town somewhere, but I don't know what town that would be. So, yeah, maybe they go back to Chicago. Maybe some of this takes place out around her brother's farm. Or maybe they go back to Chicago and then they all go out on another trip. I would bet that they do go back to Chicago. Not next week, obviously. Well, you know, last week we thought that they were going down to the south because we hadn't read the book. Right. And I do want to blame part of that on the land. It looked like Missouri, it looked like... It really did. Yeah. <laughs> but I also do wonder, still, we saw the beautiful, like, stage show. And so is that a flashback? Yeah. Or is that something else? Um, we still could end up in the South, so I'm wondering where else this will take us. Lovecraft Country is, of course, really uh, the New England area, the Providence, Massachusetts, 
felt. But Lovecraft Country is also kind of all over the U.S., especially if you take it with that grain of uh, the monsters mm-hmm. and who the monsters really are. So I'm hoping that we get a bit more travel. Yeah, I mean, with, with the Green Book as a hook, there's certainly just an in for it. Well, I'll see you next week in Lovecraft Country. somebody came up to me and said I like a strange mystical birthright Mm -hmm. yeah I have to check and make sure they're not a ghost because you're not allowed to um, you know be consorting with ghosts they are they have agendas and are liars it's in the bible which is the the interesting part about don't take advice from ghosts being in the bible is that it it just assumes that ghosts are real and talk to you (laughs) That's- well, okay, but Samuel's ghost actually has some really important things to say. No, it's you no know, ghosts. Ghosts have agendas, and you can't trust them. That's what the Bible says. Um, it's it's right there.